Everyone loves a good story of a life that's been changed forever. When people go from zero to hero, shame to fame, rags to riches, even TV shows are based around this whole idea. The Biggest Loser, Australian Idol, MasterChef, some ordinary, no-name person looking to find that change or that breakthrough in life. If you think about it, the church should be full of these stories, stories of how Jesus has changed people's lives forever. One of my highlights of being a Christian is hearing stories of how Jesus has changed people's lives. Those who were once lost, broken down and dead, and now found alive and finding their fullness in Christ. Just last week, I was at a camp uh, where three of my friends shared their testimonies. And it really surprised me, and it moved many to tears to hear how Jesus had changed their lives completely. Even the men were finding that itchy spot beneath their eyes. All of these guys had changed from selfish people who dipped into drugs, crime, and immorality to become wholehearted passionate followers of Jesus. Jesus really changes people's lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, think about your testimony and how you've changed because of Jesus. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the book of Philemon, and it's a really short book. In fact, so short that when we're going from Timothy to Titus to Hebrews at church, we totally skip this letter. And as we glance over this passage, we find out from verse 1 and 9, if you have a look, that the author is Paul. And the structure of the letter has Paul written all over it. It's got the typical greetings from verses 1 to 7, and the usual closing farewell from verse 21 onwards. And we can see the body of this letter is uh, it's enclosed by this repeat in verse 7 and verse 21 of this concept of refreshing Paul's heart. This letter is addressed to Philemon and his house church in Colossae. Aphia in verse 2 was probably Philemon's wife and Archippus might have been his son. This letter is really unique because it's very personal and it addresses a specific issue for Philemon, but it's still written to be spoken to the whole church. As we look at this letter, we see the focus is really on the story of Onesimus and how the gospel and how Jesus has changed his life forever. Tonight's message is titled Change by the Gospel. And as we glance through this book tonight, I'm going to talk about each of the main characters in this letter and what God is showing us through these people and how each of them are challenged by Jesus and his saving message. One of the testimonies I heard last week was from a guy that I play cards with every week. And even though I knew he was pretty gangster back in the day, I was really surprised to hear his story. He always tells us that in high school, he used to steal graphics calculators and then sell them. But that was only part of the truth. Long story short, in the early hours of a morning, this guy followed his school friends and broke into a school 
and tried to steal computers. After a while, some cops turned up, and he bolted for his life. He actually escaped by swimming through a creek to freedom. Out of guilt, my friend turned himself in the next day, and through this traumatic experience of turning himself in, being charged with 236 counts of theft, going to court, and then some miraculous interventions from God, my friend is now a passionate follower of Jesus. The first person we're going to look at tonight is Onesimus, and as I was reading through this text this week. Philemon reads almost like a testimony of this guy. We learn from stitching the details together that he was a slave or a servant in the house of Philemon. In verse 18, just like my friend, it seems that Onesimus has either stolen from Philemon and bolted for his life, or he's just escaped Philemon's house somehow. Either way. Onesimus wasn't in Philemon's good books at all, but somehow through the course of events, Onesimus has either looked for Paul to be a mediator between him and Philemon, or a turn of events, he's ended up in jail in Rome with Paul. Either way, through God's sovereignty, Onesimus bumps into Paul. And in verse ten, we find out that Onesimus has become a follower of Jesus through Paul. The text paints a contrasting picture of his conversion, and it plays on the meaning of Onesimus, his name in Greek, which means useful or profitable. Verse eleven says he was useless, but now he's useful. He's his namesake. In verse sixteen, he was a slave, and now he's a brother. Onesimus is a changed man because of Jesus, and this is what the gospel does to people's lives. The guy who stole from and ran away from his master is now a follower of Jesus. Not only that, but he seems to be a great help and service to Paul. And this is the first point that I want to emphasize from this letter: God can change anyone into a follower of Jesus through the gospel. This was the message of Jesus. He hung out with the poor, the castaways, the thugs, the shunned of his time, and some of these became followers of Jesus. We see this in Onesimus, the dodgy runaway slave, who became a follower of Jesus. Ultimately, we see this in every single follower of Jesus. You see, we're all sinners. We all have this tendency to live for ourselves, to reject God. To do wrong, to live life the way we want to, but because of this saving message of Jesus, our lives have changed forever. You see, we live in the light of the grace that God shows us in Christ. We were once dead, but in Christ we're alive. Once we were condemned as sinners, but in Christ we're clothed as righteous. We were lost. But in Christ, we're found. God can change anyone into a follower of Jesus through the gospel. If you've been a Christian for a while, ask yourself: How has Jesus changed my life? How's God changed you as you've followed Jesus? 
Maybe you've been coming to church week after week, or maybe it's your first time here tonight, but you've never asked God into your life. God can change anyone into a follower of Jesus through the gospel. Have you ever stopped to consider Jesus and his offer for salvation? This is really the core business of the church, challenging people to be changed by Jesus, to become passionate followers of him. Jesus welcomes anyone and everyone into his family. I remember someone saying that Jesus' specialty is changing people's lives. And it doesn't matter what your past is. You could have been a thug, a gangster, a criminal, an immoral person, even New South Welshmen or Wallaby supporters at that. It doesn't matter what your past is. Jesus wants you to come to him, accept him as Lord of your life, and to watch him change you as you follow Jesus. It happened to Onesimus. It happened to my friend. It happens to all who follow Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? God can change anyone into a follower of Jesus through the gospel. When this guy I knew, let's call him Mike, when he became a Christian, I was really skeptical. You see, I'd known him for more than 10 years, and I knew his track record. In Chinese school back in the day, he ripped me off in trading Pokemon cards. In fact, he probably ripped many little kids off and sold the cards for money. In high school and in uni, I knew him as the party boy. Every party that I saw him at, he was with the girls trying to get their attention. And to be honest, I never really expected him to become a Christian. Then one day, I saw him at a uni fellowship. Hmm, maybe it's just a once-off. Then the next week, he was there again. Hmm, maybe he likes to go there, which was probably true, actually. But week after week, he came back. Week after week, I became more and more curious. Then one day, I hear he's become a Christian, and he's coming to church. This guy, who to me was a con artist and a party boy, he says he's come to Christ. It was pretty tough to take it all in. As we look at the second character in this passage, this is what he was faced with. What an awkward moment it would have been when Philemon answered the knock on his door, and it's none other than Onesimus. He's just dropped the letter to the Colossians, and now he's got a letter from Paul. Inside this letter, Paul tells Philemon that Onesimus has come to Christ. The slave, the rotten cook, is now a brother and follower of Jesus. And as Philemon reads the punchline in verse 17, I would have loved to see his response. Paul says, If you consider me a partner in Christ, welcome him as you would welcome me. This is the real reason behind this letter. Paul's run into Onesimus, the slave, and somehow he's become a Christian through Paul. And in verse 11, we find out that Paul actually wants Onesimus to help him in his ministry. But Paul has to follow Roman law by sending a slave back to his rightful master. I looked at many places through the week, and it seems 
a lot of people have used this book to talk about slavery. I just want to respond to this quickly by saying that slavery in the Greek world was very different to the slavery that we know today. More than 70% of the Greek population would have considered themselves as slaves or servants. It was common for people with good jobs, even those raking in the money, to be classified as a slave. But it was a great crime to run away from your master. In fact, runaway slaves who were found were usually punished for running away. Some were killed, many were beaten. Masters were able to print an F on the slave's forehead to forever label him as a fugitive. So Paul brings Onesimus back to his master. But instead of seeking punishment, Paul wants Philemon to show Christian love to this slave. Ultimately, Paul is looking for Onesimus to be reconciled to Philemon as slave to his master, but also as fellow brothers in Christ. As we look at verse 17, how would Philemon have welcomed his dear friend Paul? I think it would have been something like, hey, nice to see you again. Hey, long time no see, mate. That's how Paul wanted Onesimus to be welcomed. No grudges, no condemnation, but reconciled as brothers in Christ. But how's Philemon supposed to get over what Onesimus has done to deal with the depths that he owed in verse 18? In our human way of doing things, there's really no way. We'd always focus on the depths, the injustice, our own self-righteousness. Maybe once in a while, we'll let someone get off lightly. But I think this is the funny thing about being a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus saves us through grace. It's totally undeserved. He forgives us. He reconciles us to God. And our depths, our sins are cleared in Jesus. And we're also called by Jesus to show this grace to each other. Jesus teaches and models it through the Gospels. Forgiveness, love, grace. We now come to the second point that I want to bring out in tonight's passage. God reconciles people to each other through the gospel. Paul's appealing here through this letter for Philemon to be reconciled to Onesimus, to restore the relationship in a loving Christian way. Even though Paul offers to pay off Onesimus's ledger, I think Paul goes as far to imply that Philemon should forget about any debt that was owed. His primary concern was for the two guys to be restored in fellowship. You know, I think this is really easy to say in theory, but in practice, I reckon this is pretty tough stuff. How would you feel if you were in Philemon's shoes? Your servant stole from you, he ran away, he's hurt you both financially and with the loss of work, and one day he rocks up at your door. At best, I think we'd want every cent repaid, and at worst, we'd probably want to shut the door or hurt the guy. But as we follow Jesus, we're called to love and forgive 
as Christ to us. God reconciles people to each other through the gospel. Well, how do you go in this? When I worked at a computer store, we'd get our fair share of angry customers. I remember one very clearly. He wanted to buy a laptop, and we had it all ready for him. But we clearly stated that if he wanted to pay by cheque, there'd be a 24-hour waiting period for it to be cleared. But this guy came in with a cheque, and he demanded to get his laptop then and there. Obviously, we couldn't, and that's when the shouting and rage began. It ended with this guy shouting some threats, storming back to his car, and burning some rubber on the way out. I got his number plate just in case we had to report the guy. A few months later, I drove into the church car park on a Sunday morning, and I saw a familiar car, a familiar number plate. I thought to myself, this guy who shouted and threatened me actually comes to this church. I've seen him around, I've chatted with him. It's loving and forgiving to totally overlook the past issues. But let me tell you, it's really hard to practice. What would you do? The guy I talked to who ripped me off years, years ago, he became a Christian. How do you deal with that past? Imagine someone who's wronged you in the past. One day, he rocks up at 6.35 on a Sunday night. What would you do? It's pretty tough stuff in practice. And I'll let you think about what you do in this situation. This is the same sort of scenario that Philemon was faced with. God reconciles people to each other through the gospel. After thinking about it this week, although this message of reconciliation is really tough to live out, I think this point is supposed to encourage us rather than deflate us. God reconciles people to each other through the gospel. Isn't that a wonderful message? The grace of God has the power to reconcile people together in Christ. People who, without Christ, would otherwise remain divided and torn apart, now able to fellowship together through Jesus. I think that's a pretty, pretty awesome encouragement. Some of you may have heard of a guy called John Chapman. He's an Australian evangelist. Think an Aussie version of Billy Graham. He passed away late last year at the age of 82. And one of his most famous last words was this, the first 82 years are the hardest. Chapo devoted his whole life to sharing Jesus to those around him. Even in hospital, battling organ failure, he was still telling people about Jesus. He was discipling and praying for others and encouraging the Christian community with God's word. As we look at the final character in this letter of Philemon, Paul was the same kind of guy. He devoted his whole life to sharing Jesus. At the time of writing this letter, Paul was probably about 60, and he was in jail at the time. Verse 1 says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. And even here, he's not complaining, but he sees himself there in jail under God's sovereign control. 
we've seen that while Paul was in jail, he wasn't just twirling his thumbs in the corner of his cell. In verse 10, Onesimus comes to Christ through Paul's witness in jail. In this whole letter, Paul's seeking these two brothers to be reconciled in fellowship. Paul's introduction from verses 4 to 7 would have been such an encouragement to Philemon and the other Christians. It loses its impact for us since we're not the primary receivers. But imagine if one of your friends came up to you and said, Hey man, I thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I heard about your love for all God's people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. We can gather from between the lines that Paul's still making plans on how he can serve God and share the gospel. Verse 13, Paul wants Onesimus to help him in his ministry. Verse 22, Paul's already planning to visit them. This guy's like a machine going all out for Jesus. And this brings us to tonight's last point. God's people live for Jesus and the gospel in all seasons of life. Chapo chose to live his life with Jesus and the gospel in the center. Whatever age or faith phase you are in life, or he was in life, he always lived for Jesus. It was the same with Paul, rain, hail, or shine. His life was centered around living for Jesus. What's your life centered around? What doesn't change as you go through different phases in life? Is it your work? Is it sport? Is it some hobby or some pastime? How will you continue to live for Jesus as you progress from your studies to work, from being single to married, from being married to having kids, and from work to retirement? You've probably heard Daryl's illustration about the glass jug and the rocks, the big things in your life that takes up lots of time and energy, the pebbles, the smaller things, and the sand, the things that are peripheral in your life. What are the rocks, the big things in your life? I think for us as followers of Jesus, I think instead of having big rocks in the jug, there's really one big fat monster rock which all the pebbles and sand fit around. And the big rock that's always there should be Jesus. Everything else revolves around him. God's people live for Jesus and the gospel. Paul's a great encouragement for us. He's 60, he's in jail, and he's still on fire for Jesus. He's bringing people to faith. He's encouraging other Christians. He's planning to continue to share the gospel. Many of you probably know Sui Mei Lo. She was a true sister in Christ to all of us. And while she was in hospital in her final weeks, she was still living for Jesus. If you talked to her, she would encourage you. She'd share scripture with you, pray with you, and talk about her future plans with you, about how she's going to share the gospel with other people. Witnessing that was a real encouragement and challenge to me. It was encouraging to see someone living for Jesus while battling illness and frailty. But it was also a challenge for me. If I was in the same position, what would I do? Would I live for Jesus first and foremost in the good times, in the struggles, through the midlife crisis, in retirement, in sickness, in old age? 
knowing that God is in control. Will you live for Jesus through these times? God's people live for Jesus in all seasons of life. So just to round off tonight, we've broken down Philemon by looking at each of the major players. Firstly, we've looked at Onesimus, the runaway slave. God can change anyone into a follower of Jesus through the gospel. We've looked at Philemon, the recipient of this appeal by Paul. God reconciles people to each other through the gospel. And lastly, we've looked at Paul, living out his faith in all circumstances. God's people live for Jesus and the gospel in all seasons of life. This letter we've looked at tonight shows us how the gospel and how the saving message of Jesus changes people's lives completely. I'd like to finish off tonight with a couple of questions for all of us. How is the gospel changing you today? How's God drawing you closer to him? How's God growing you into a passionate follower of Jesus? And how's God working in your season in life right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for giving us this letter and reminding us about the power of your saving message. Thank you that you do change our lives as we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You save us from sin and death, and you make us into your children, marked by love and grace. Lord, I pray that you'll help us as we let the gospel convict us, change us, and grow us. Help us to be passionate followers of Jesus through all times in life. Lord, I just pray that you give us strength to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Thank you so much for the grace that you've shown us in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.